Welcome into the Investing in Real Estate show. I'm your host, Clayton Morris, longtime real estate investor. I guess I'm a serial entrepreneur as, as our next guest. We were just joking before we started the show, um, facing big challenges in your life and why, what it is about those big challenges that just what makes you want to sink your teeth into it as an entrepreneur. If you are new to the show, I left my day job in, two, in 2017 after 18 years in broadcast television. I was tired of waking up at three in the morning and working for somebody else. And during that time, I had built up enough passive income to achieve financial freedom. And now that's what this show aims to do is help you build financial intelligence so you can build financial freedom. And we do it through buy and hold real estate. That's what I focus on. Our next guest has a lot of experience in this. And you know, on Thursdays, we love to have experts here on the show. And that's why we have Greg Dickerson on the show. He is a serial entrepreneur, real estate developer, coach, and mentor. Over his career, he has bought, developed, and sold over $250 million in real estate. He's built and renovated custom homes, commercial buildings, developed residential and mixed-use subdivisions, and I need to catch my breath for a second because that's a long laundry list. He's developed over 12 different companies from the ground up. So he has me beat by about nine or so for building companies from the ground up. Greg, welcome to the show. Clayton, thank you for having me. Yeah, that's a, uh, a, a quick way of saying adult ADD, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instead of focusing on one thing, you have 12 things. Uh, I, I, know all, I know all about that, my friend. So the reason, you know, you and I were kibitzing before the show and I thought, yeah, this is a really great idea to have a discussion today about new construction residential properties. And of course, at my company, if our listeners have known, like we've been really zeroing in and focusing on new construction, the power of new construction properties. Um, we're slated to, you know, as a team, we're slated to build quite a few this year. And there's a lot of power behind it. We talk about the tax benefits of it, obviously adding in some higher end features so tenants uh, are attracted to that, achieve higher rent, tenants want to stay longer, on and on the list goes. Um, so really, really great stuff. And that's what Greg and I are going to talk about. So Greg, thank you so much for joining us today. Let's let's just dial it back before we dive into some of the new construction stuff and what you look for and, and how you manage that. How did you get started in the real estate world? I think you said you even got kind of started with new construction. Is that right? Yeah, I did. Well, actually, back in 1997, I moved to the Outer Banks of North Carolina, which is a resort beach area off the coast of North Carolina. It's where the Wright brothers took off, where flight originated, Kill Devil Hills, Kitty Hawk area. Um, so I moved there and I moved there to open a restaurant. I was a, I was uh, two things I've done my entire life are restaurants and construction. And that's where the entrepreneurial fire comes from is being in the restaurant industry and, and being in construction. So I had a construction company during the day, restaurants at night. I uh, didn't go to college, went in the Navy right out of high school. I did retail in the Navy. And when I got out of the Navy, I wanted to have my own business, you know, like you, I've just always wanted my own business and I'm, I don't do well working for others. So um, I, you know, always had a little construction company on the side while I was working and managing restaurants. And I worked for Bennigan's and Lone Star Steakhouses, received some really great business training from those organizations and uh, relocated to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. I'm a surfer. I've been a surfer my entire life. I've lived in California, Florida, North Carolina, Virgin Islands. So as a military brat growing up and a military guy myself, I've lived all over. So fast forward, 1997, I moved to the Outer Banks to open a restaurant, worked in the restaurant industry one season there, hated it. Uh, it was not a great uh, industry to be in on the Outer Banks. You could not get help in a very short season. You can't make a whole lot of money doing it. So I decided to, I bought a house and I was trying to get an addition put on my house and I couldn't get anybody to call me back. 
uh, and I was trying to get landscaping done. Nobody would call me back. So I was talking to my neighbors and friends and they're all like, oh yeah, man, everybody's so busy. It's so busy right now. You can't get anybody to even return a phone call. So I had some skills and where there's a problem as an entrepreneur, there's an opportunity. So I said, well, I'm going to start a little handyman company, remodeling company and fill this need. So that's what I did. I just started with me and my truck and my tools. And I went out and started doing just little handyman remodeling jobs. My first year uh, in business, we did $250,000. My seventh year in business, we were doing $30 million. We were the largest, one of the largest builder developers there. We were doing multi-million dollar uh, spec houses, beach houses, rental properties. And, uh, and I also started uh, 12 other companies along the way that were mostly ancillary to the construction industry. So it was very, it's, it could sound kind of scattered, but it was very focused and deliberate. I'm a leader, delegator, motiv- motivator. I'm very good at uh, delegating and leading and managing and developing people. So that's what I did. So I had these companies that I would find great operators and I would coach them in that business. They ran the day to day. I was high level, just kind of coaching and mentoring them and building the company through them. So I'm, I have a lot of capacity. I have the ability to really take on a lot of different things and to stay very focused and organized, which I am. But at the same time, I like to do a lot of different things. So I operate through others. I coach others. I find champions and coach them to success. And I put aces in places. So that's how I built all my companies. That's how I got started. Started with remodeling. Then I decided I wanted to build spec houses. So I started building little $300,000 spec houses. And then my first big deal was an oceanfront hotel, bought that, um, tore it down, built three 12 bedroom oceanfront houses that are like mini hotels. And, um, you know, I was off to the races and doing multi-million dollar properties from there. Uh, and then I would reinvest the profits into other deals and started getting into land development, you know, things like that. But it all started with that little remodeling company. The first flip I ever did was a lot. Uh, we, a realtor friend of mine came to me and said, Hey, there's a lot for sale. Uh, you put up the money, we can buy this. My dad has a buyer for it and we can flip it and make 30 grand. So that was my first like real estate flip that I did. And I made, we split it and I made 15 grand and I thought, man, you know, uh, off to the races. So that's how it all started. That's my, you know, short story, uh, long story short. What do you think separates you from other people who are thinking about entering this space? Um, obviously, you've got the leadership there um, and you're not an operator. So many people, I think, want to be in bogged down in the operations when it's hard. You've got to turn those keys over to somebody else. But what do you think separates you from somebody else who just uh, wants to get up off the couch and go and do it and then just like flops back down and doesn't do it? You know, I just have that fire inside of me. I'm a doer. You know, I make things happen. When when you ask people, you know, who is Greg Dickerson, they'll tell you, you know, he gets things done. He makes things happen, gets things done. You know, I just, I like to take action. I like to do big things. I have a very big mindset. I don't feel like I'm limited. I, I feel like I can do anything that I want to accomplish within reason. You know, I'm not going to go start for the New England Patriots, right? But uh, if I want to go do a real estate deal within reason, you know, I, I am very confident that I can make things happen. And I've done a lot of, so even though I didn't go to college, you know, I have educated myself. So I've poured into myself my entire life, starting with, you know, rich dad, poor dad. And that's where my whole philosophy of business came from. I read rich dad, poor dad, and I didn't get real estate out of that book. Like a lot of people do. What I got out of rich dad, poor dad was build companies that generate cash flow to invest in other assets which is the core of that story. That's what his rich dad really did. He had a lot of businesses and he reinvested the profits into real estate. So mm-hmm. that's what I did. I said, if I want to get rich, if I want to become wealthy, nobody in my family were entrepreneurs. My dad was career military. My mom worked for Blue Cross and Blue Shield her entire life. Nobody in my family went to college except my dad after the military. So I learned it all the hard way from the ground up. 
And that's a great point. And you, and, and, and Robert, like you, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, like you, military. Um, and one thing Robert said here on the show, he's been a guest here, of course, he said, you know, uh, it, you know, when people ask me, you know, where should I invest in real estate? It's, it's you know, that's up to them. He said, I, I'm, you know, I buy businesses. I, I own real estate. I own businesses. And so Rich Dad, I think you got the nugget out of that book that which, which is the message he was trying to impart to people is that it's not a real estate book. It really is about buying performing assets. Right. And a lot of people don't, don't realize that a business is a great asset to own, just like a piece of real estate, in some cases, even better. And actually today, you can get much better cap rates buying companies than you can buying real estate. So that's another thing that I do as well. I do equity and venture capital. I buy companies, build them up, sell them off, even to this day. Uh, I'm on the board of a couple of different companies that, that I'm working with. And that's what I did over the years. And so back to your point. So I, I educated myself. I poured into myself you know, with a lot of the great trainers and speakers that we've known over the years, like the Zig Ziglar's and Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and, and all that. Then I've also studied business leaders and great leaders. And I was very fortunate that a lot of the people coming down to the Outer Banks and buying those big beach houses from me and that I was partnering with were very successful business owners and developers in other areas. So I was young. I was in my late 20s, early 30s when I started this whole thing. And I always use that to my advantage. And I said, look, I'm young. I'm a seeker of wisdom. I want to know what you know. I want to do what you do. So I found people that I wanted to be just like, and I learned from them. And I learned from them by doing deals with them, by you know taking them out and just kind of asking them how they did what they did and listening to their stories. So not only did I educate myself, so you know, back in the day, it was you know uh, a cassette tape. So I had the Walkman with the cassette tape. So anytime I was in my car or doing exercise, I had a book on tape going in my head. Mm-hmm. And then it was CDs. And then when the iPod came out, I had no music. It was all books. So I've, I've read and poured into myself thousands of books on business, on leadership, on entrepreneurship, So I kind of brainwashed myself to believe I can do anything I want to do and to learn how to be a leader, delegator, motivator. And really the only way you can be successful, truly successful, grow and scale in business is you got to be a leader first and foremost. And that's where most people miss it. Most small business people, entrepreneurs, operators, they miss the fact that you're a leader first and foremost. And And the key to being a leader is servanthood. So as a leader, you're a servant. You serve that organization. So a lot of people you know, they look at the CEO at the top of that organization and everything trickles down. I flip that pyramid upside down. The CEO is at the bottom of the organization and they are there to serve everybody else in the organization, your employees, customers, clients, vendors, subcontractors, everybody in the organization is relying on you to give them everything they need to be successful, tools, training systems, and support, but more importantly, guidance and clear direction and know in certain terms exactly what you expect and when then you have to measure that performance, that behavior, and hold it accountable to the goal that you set. So that's what leadership is all about. So once you realize, man, if you're in business, you're a leader, uh, and you, you put yourself at the bottom of the organization and realize your job is to keep everybody busy and give them everything they need to be successful, set them up for success, that's when big things start to happen. I love that bottom-up approach because the best leaders are the best listeners as well. Being able to see what that organization needs and being there to support it as a servant. I, I absolutely love that. It's it's quite a shift from maybe the way that we saw things in the 1950s. You know, we, I think we're in a new era yeah. uh, when we're seeing it in a different way and a, and a, and a much better approach to business. Um, 
Let's dive in yeah. and talk. Let's let, let's talk real estate, Greg. Let's talk some of the new construction. Let's dive into some of those pieces that we find really powerful internally at our company, and obviously something you're incredibly passionate about. So, what has you excited these days in the world of new construction? First of all, why new construction versus um, you know dealing with renovation projects? You know, I enjoy those as well. Um, but new construction, to me, it's just a different animal. It's just, you know, I love to, when I find a site, whether it's an infill project or a redevelopment where I'm tearing down and rebuilding or vacant land, I love to just, I walk on that site, I bend down, I pick the dirt up in my hands and I smell it. I mean, I just, you know, it's just, it's just in me. I just, I'm a builder. I love to build companies, people, buildings. Uh, I just love new construction and it's, it's, you know, it's much easier and more predictable, obviously, you know, than, than a renovation project, but I love those too. Um, I just like to build, whether it's renovating, building ground up, whatever it is, I, I enjoy doing it, but new construction, you know, is obviously easier. Now, the reason I started out that way in the market I was in, um, during the time pre 2009, it was cheaper to build than it was to buy because properties were appreciating, you know, so fast. So it was really, I'm opportunistic. That's the, that's the way to describe me. So if it's a deal, if it's an opportunity, I'm going to figure out the most efficient uh, way to maximize the opportunity of that deal. So whether it's a redevelopment, teardown, uh, renovation, whatever it is. So I'm not one size fits all for me. I'm opportunistic. And I'm in a point in my life where I can do what I want to do. I don't have to do anything. So uh, I look for very challenging projects that have a lot of upside. And I have you know, key investors that have been with me in my entire career that love to do projects with me. And they love that about me that I take on stuff that's really interesting, really challenging that, that you have to be creative, whether it's a property and you're trying to maximize it and fit a structure on a property that nobody else could figure out how to do. Or uh, like that first project I did where I built the 12 bedroom oceanfront houses. Nobody thought you could do that. They were the biggest houses ever built in Nags Head. They still are. Um, and I, I created a, a situation in, in, you know, creative engineering an elegant solution to be able to make that happen. So to me, new construction is really fun. You can plan it. It's strategic. You're leading a team. You know, I just, I just love it. It's just, it's just so much fun. There's so much going on. Uh, but really at the end of the day, it was the opportunity because it was cheaper to build than it was to buy. And that's kind of where it's at now. Probably what you're seeing in your business, a lot of times it's much more efficient to build than it is to try to buy and renovate something. And it's brand new. It rents for more, it sells for more, and it's more desirable. So people always like new. New always sells for more. It always sells quicker. And, and uh, people always like it better. And it generates more income usually. Right. I mean, we have a waiting list for, for our new construction right now at our company, Morris Invest. So I know that that's a powerful, uh, you know, it's a, it's a powerful weapon in your rental portfolio. And think about the tax benefits as well. I mean, it's new. It's brand new. And of course, you can accelerate that depreciation. Um, but because you're improving right. growth. You're improving roads, you're laying sewer lines, you're doing all those additional things that you can accelerate your depreciation on in a way that you cannot um, on a you know on a renovated property. You you get obviously you can accelerate exactly. depreciation and do a cost segregation on renovated property, but new construction allows you a couple of extra layers, a lot of extra money in your pocket when you can do that. So really, really powerful. Let's let's talk some tactics. Um, I know you're putting together a course on new construction. If someone wants to start like flipping new construction and building sites. What are some of the things that you look for when you're looking for a site to, to start to build some new construction? Take me through some of the tactics. You know, so I look at opportunities to either do what's called infill development, where you go into a uh, existing uh, mature neighborhood and you look for empty lots and you fill in those holes. Uh, and generally, I'll look for areas where there is already built in demand 
People want to be there. Houses are selling well. So I'm, I'm not the pioneer, you know, if you build it, they will come. That doesn't always work. A lot of people think, you know, I can just go, you know, 45 minutes outside of town. And because this is new inventory and new development, people are going to come. That doesn't always work. You got to be very careful where you do this. You got to make sure that it's going to be an area where people want to be, where there's already demand. Uh, and where there's pent up demand, like you said, you've got a waiting list. So you must be in a really great market with the product you're doing. So that's kind of what you want to do. You want to go where there's already demand, where the, the area is already kind of mature and you're creating new within the old because new always sells better and always sells faster and it always runs for more. You know, people love that. So that's the first thing I look for is, can I sell this? Can I rent this? And you always start with the end game in mind and you want to have multiple exit strategies. So if you're not able to sell it, you want to be able to rent it and you want to have that loan uh, or that funding source set up to where it converts to a mortgage so you can rent it out if it doesn't sell. But generally, I'm a, I, I like to build and sell. I will only rent something long enough to get it, if it's, a, if it's an income property, stabilized, and then I sell it. So that's me. I'm a, I, I like to get in and get out. That's just how I'm wired. I'm a developer. I don't like to be a landlord of property. I like to be a landlord of cash. You know, that's, that's what I like to manage. Right. Um, so <laughs> I try to find the areas, the holes. And it could be a property that, you know, it could be a shopping mall. You tear it down and redevelop it. It could be a building. It could be a number of houses. So I love to do that where you can assemble some pieces and redevelop a whole block at a time. That's a lot of fun, too. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, yeah, I mean, where we're at right now and some of the markets we are, I mean, we, you know, we like I said, we had a waiting list for on the buy side, but we also have a waiting list for tenants um, to get in as well, which is, so there's an incredible demand. And right now, just, you know, nationally, we're seeing a huge demand for affordable housing, uh, upwards of 22 yeah. million homes that are needed for affordable housing. You're seeing some of the bigger hedge funds just building, you know, 200 plus houses in subdivisions. That's barely a dent in the universe for what we currently need in the United States for affordable housing. So if you can go into an infill area and build a great, uh, you know, great property that someone can, you know, do as a first time home buyer, pick up that property. I mean, that's a, that's a, you're helping the neighborhood. You're helping that first time home buyer. Um, you're, it's a win-win all around. It's a huge niche and there's a shift going on right now where, where, especially at, you know, the affordable, you know, housing price point, I'm not sure what market you're in, but are these like $200,000 houses? Yeah. Two, $300,000, you know, duplexes, uh, in that price range. Okay. So, you know, that can make a lot more sense for somebody to rent long-term than it can to buy. If you think about the amount of money they have to put down, the taxes, insurance, maintenance, uh, all of the little things that you would spend on homeownership, you know, for somebody who's buying a two to $300,000 house, you know, that's a sixty dollars to $100,000 a year household income. You know, that's not a lot of money at the end of the day after taxes. And then especially after you spend, you know, the, the third, you know, of your income to almost, you know, 40% of your income on owning that house. It really doesn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of times those people are one, you know, paycheck away from default. So it can make a lot of sense for them to rent. They can take that down payment and all those extra monies that they would be spending on ownership and reinvest in other things and, uh, you know, or, you know, build up their savings and, and whatever their mindset is. So there is a shift going on in the country where it can make a lot more sense to rent than it can to buy. And, and to your point, yeah, the national, a lot of the national home builders are going out there now and building rental communities, you know, for hedge funds instead of buying. It's a much more efficient vehicle. You know, Warren Buffett said, man, I'd buy every house I could if I could find an efficient way to do it. That's the most efficient way to do it. You go out, you buy a chunk of land, you build a thousand houses. That's pretty efficient. It's going to be hard to buy a thousand houses in an area that you can control as an investor. 
Oh, amen. That's exactly what I was getting to. It's, it's just very hard. It's very difficult one by one to identify properties, make sure that you know, a bank is willing to do non-recourse financing and not pick you know, a particular property. You can go through 100 deals till you find the right one. And much more efficient to be focusing on new construction. So, all right. So we talked about some of the strategies and tactics around finding certain areas, demographics you're looking for, demand, sort of pent-up demand for those areas. And infill is really attractive to you. So you see an empty lot, you're driving by in downtown Austin, Texas or someplace, and you say, oh, that'd be a great place for a great house. Um, What else do you look for when you're getting started uh, putting together a new construction deal? So uh, the area in general, so I want to make sure, like I said, it's an area that, that there's going to be demand for rentals or for sale. Um, you want to look for buildability of the lot. So you want to look at the topography. How does the lot lay? Are there utilities available? You know, a lot of times just because the lot might be in an existing area, or this could be a chunk of land, you know, within a community or somewhere on the outskirts of it. You know, you want to make sure that you you talk to the planning departments and the zoning departments. Number one, can I build what I want to build? What are the rules? What are the requirements? What are the setbacks? What does the topography look like? How much is it going to cost to clear the land? What kind of site work am I looking at? What about utilities? You know, I've done infill where I built three houses, uh, tore a house down, built three houses, and I had to bring a sewer line 250 feet up the street to serve those houses and put a manhole and a fire hydrant in. It cost me $30,000 on, you know, three houses that I'm only selling for $295,000, right? So, uh, you know, so you got to be real careful to make sure you do your homework, make sure you can build what you want to build know and understand what the rules and the codes are. You want to talk to other builders in the in the area that are building the type of product that you're building so you can understand what the costs are. You want to do it turnkey. You don't want to try to take this on yourself, you know, right out of the gate and be a builder. You want to hire the pros, let them do their job because it's a big learning curve, uh, you know, to just jump right into new construction. Uh, so those are the types of things I look at. Let's say I'm just going to go somewhere that I, I'm not familiar with and I'm going to just, you drop me in Texas, which I've never been or invested in. That's what I would do. I would I would look at this land. I'd say this looks like a good area based on demand, the comps, you know, the the demographics. This is an area I want to be in. That's the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to call, you know, the city and the county and find out what the rules are, find out what the utility situation is, find out what my cost to develop is going to be, and then you got to work it all backwards. So once I know what those costs are, and I know, hey, it's going to cost me three hundred thousand dollars to build this house, I want to have a twenty percent margin in there minimum. So that means my cost needs to be twenty percent less than what it's going to cost me, you know, overall to build that house. So I've got a little bit of equity in there and I can make a little money to sell it. And from a land standpoint, generally what you want to stick with is whatever your out sale of the house is. Let's say the house sells for 300,000. You don't want to spend more than 20 to 25% on your land cost for a finished lot in order for that formula to work. So generally if it's a $300,000 house, you want to be 50 to 60,000, maybe 65 to 70 in a really hot area. Uh, that's where you want to be for that finished lot, meaning you got to be able to buy the lot, clear it, develop it, have the utilities ready for you to start your foundation. Uh, you, you don't want to spend more than 20% of what the house is going to sell for. And that, that will generally keep you safe. Right. Because you're taking on an enormous amount of risk. So this is why you do what you do. And I do what I do because, um, you know, it, it, there's a lot of risk for building new construction and just building in general. And I, you know, would do a lot of different deals with people who would build very large, you know, five, five to 6,000 foot, uh, square foot custom homes. And, you know, they take a year to build, especially if you're in areas yeah. where you have to deal with snow and long permitting process and things like that. And there's a lot of risk for those builders that are taking on those things. If you don't have that margin in there and the economy shifts or an, in, an, you know, an interest rate goes up just a little bit 
then you're sitting on those things for an additional few months. You're paying additional property taxes, um, and you may have to lower your price point when you're trying to sell it because the economy has shifted, right? I mean, I'm sure you've been hit with some of these things over the years, right? Yeah, you, yeah. I went through 2009, and uh, you know, I made it through that. I was very fortunate. So yeah, things can change very quickly, as we all saw pretty much nationwide last fall. So if you remember, interest rates started, you know, creeping up. The real estate market came to a screeching halt all across the country in the fall. It was a very weird time. Even the national home builders were very concerned late summer, early fall. They said it was a deeper than usual slowdown. And then as soon as the Fed caught wind and the rates, you know, were lowered again, uh, things, you know, kicked back into gear this spring. So all it takes, and this was the same thing pre-2009. So the peak of our market across the country was 0405. That's where, so I got in the business 97. I rode that wave till 0405. And the market started tailing off 0405. A lot of people don't realize that and forget about that. That's when we peaked and things started trickling off. And then it started coming back again, late 2006, early 2007. It was all interest rate driven. And that was the first time in history back in the late 90s, early 2000s, that we had interest rates below 5%. You know, you could get interest only LIBOR, you know, things like that. You could get permanent mortgages in, in the mid to low fives. And then it got down into the fours. So what happened was, we became conditioned to think that 5% is a threshold that it's not wise to buy a house if your interest gets over 5%. So back, I was writing a lot of articles and actually I was on Neil Cavuto's show and a call in and, and Dave Ramsey um, talking about this back in 2009 and about the interest rates. And what I was writing articles about and telling people was, you got to watch the interest rates. If we get near 5%, the market's going to tank, real estate market. And that sure enough, that's what happened. Rates started going up. The market started tanking. Of course, there were deeper issues with you know, Lehman Brothers, which was my lender du jour back in the day. Oh, man. I had no idea what was going on, but <laughs> I was building. So to your point, I was building multi-million dollar construction uh, projects, beach houses. I had a bunch of them. I had construction loans. Lehman Brothers was my permanent mortgage commitment. So this was 2009, uh, probably June, July, 2009. I'd finished these oceanfront houses. I don't know. I had about five or six of them. And uh, I could not get the permanent mortgages on them. And I couldn't understand what was, what was going on. I'm like, well, Lehman Brothers gave me a commitment, meaning they committed to take those construction loans out and convert them to permanent mortgages. And then when I finished the product, uh, projects, they were no longer there. And then they ended up going out of business. So I was stuck with these construction loans. I was paying nine and three quarter percent interest on $1.8 million construction loans. And I had like five or six of them. So I had $100,000 a month going out the door on construction interest during this time. But these were income properties. So I had $150,000 a year per property coming in. So uh, I, you know, I made it through, but I was still negative. You know, a couple of months, I was still bleeding about a hundred grand, you know, to carry those things um, until I got them sold and converted. But it was a very difficult time. And I mean, that's just a classic example. Interest rates were, were the key. When those rates started creeping up and everybody's loans started resetting, it created a huge problem. So now in the mind of the consumer, we are conditioned to think, that anything below 5% is a good deal. If it gets over 5%, it's not a good, it, you know, it doesn't work. The cash flows don't work. It's not a good time to buy. We're seeing it in commercial. That's why cap rates are so compressed on commercial multifamily properties right now, because you can borrow big money, commercial money at like 3.75%. You can get a $50 million multifamily loan at 3.75. Uh, and same thing with, you know, commercial properties. I mean, that's just unheard of. So, watch interest rates. If interest rates ever start creeping up again, be very careful, be very cautious and make sure you're locked in for the long term. So how do you make it through a 2009? Don't have equity at risk. Don't have recourse loans. 
and make sure that you've got your interest rates locked before uh, things start getting out of control. That's why we're so bullish on non-recourse around the office here. So non-recourse loans. Um, yeah. And remember the early eighties when interest rates were at 18%, seems like a whole other era. Yeah. Well, um, Greg, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to get you out of here on time. And I just want to wrap up with one question because you're a doer, you're a leader, and I want to, you know, kind of recognize you for that. And you know, a lot of people have setbacks in their life. A lot of people get told no on a regular basis. A lot of people think they can't achieve something. They can't do something. When you're faced with a no, when someone comes to you and says, Greg, we can't do it. I'm not going to do that. What's your response? How do you get around the no and get to success? I just, I just pushed through it. You know, uh, I started from nothing with nothing, educated myself, learned the hard way. Uh, to me, uh, I just, I ignore the no. If somebody says you can't do that, I just, I know I can't. I just, I don't even pay attention to it. I just push through it. Now, there was a time in my life when a no would fire me up and I'd be like, okay, well, I'll show you. So when I was young and dumb and cocky and, you know, full of, full of, you know, piss and vinegar, as they say, right. uh, if you told me no, I would be like, I'm going to show you. Right. So that just motivated me even more. Now I'm a little older, a little wiser, and I just ignore it. I just, I, I know that there are no limits. I know that if you want to do something, you can do it no matter where you come from, no matter where you are, you can start new today. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. If you educate yourself, if you immerse yourself, if you become an expert in your field, which is what it takes, and you're willing to get up and do the work and get out there, uh, you can accomplish anything you want to accomplish within reason, right? You know, again, I'm not going to go play it for the NBA, um, but uh, within reason of business and your abilities and your resources, you can accomplish things and make things happen. You just got to get out and do it. And you just don't listen to the no's. You don't listen to those negative voices. You do your thing. You stay in your lane. You focus on what you're doing and you make things happen and you get things done. That's what leaders do. Yeah. And as soon as you start the path that shakes things up in your family and friends and community, you're going to start to get the no's. You're going to start to get the naysayers. You're going to start to get the haters. Once you start to become successful, you'll get the haters, the naysayers. You get all of that. Um, and that comes with the territory of becoming an entrepreneur and being successful. Well, I want to thank you so much, Greg, for joining us on the show today. And I want to mention the website, gregdickerson.com. We'll have links to that and how people can connect with you. And uh, what are you working on that you'd love to share with our audience before we wrap things up? You know, I'm working on a number of projects, uh, some ground up multifamily. I'm doing some infill development. I still build houses on the Outer Banks. I sold one of my last ones that I had in process last summer, the day before the hurricane hit last summer on the Outer Banks, I closed uh, one of my last houses I built there. So I'm looking for uh, property down there right now, working on a few things. I've got some multifamily ground up buildings I'm working on. And, uh, you know, I'm on the board of a couple of tech companies. Those are pretty exciting. Uh, some FinTech and PropTech uh, companies, one for the duplex, triplex, quad market. I've got a tech company I'm working on that's going to revolutionize the manufactured housing business. So for you building new construction, um, uh, we're coming out with a platform to help you do modular duplex, triplex, and quads for new construction. So uh, some pretty exciting stuff. Awesome. Well, thank you, Greg, for so uh, so much for joining us here on the show. I really appreciate your time and your focus and your education to our audience today. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I appreciate you having me and uh, would love to come back anytime and, and dig into it a little bit more. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back on. We can deep dive some other topics and I'm sure we'll be long friends here on the show. I love when I have an expert like you, I love to say, all right, Greg, let's line it up three months from now. Let's have you back on. <laughs> let's deep dive some other topics. Awesome. 
Thank you so much, Greg. And thanks to all of you for downloading it and pushing us up to one of the top business podcasts in the world. If you're listening on the Overcast app, go ahead and hit the little star icon that shares and recommends and pushes us up even higher. And if you're on iTunes and listen on the Apple Podcast app, go ahead and leave a five-star review. It really helps other people discover the podcast as well. Now go out there, take action, become a real estate investor. I believe it's the number one way to build wealth. And do not take no for an answer, just like Greg says. We'll see you next time, everyone. 